This is our 14th lesson, 14th lesson in our study of Daniel. And we've actually had two, two Thursdays that we missed because of snow. So we're in Daniel chapter 7, and because of those two days, what we'll do is review... Um, the first part of Daniel chapter 7 because we had worked our way down to chap- to verse 15 and uh, which separate which is really a division in the chapter for first of all the vision that Daniel receives and in that vision he also has uh, not only a vision of uh, human history but also um, a heavenly scene um, and we'll take another look at that, and then we'll get into the interpretation of his vision in the second part of chapter 7. So, let's take a few seconds for spiritual preparation. Uh, closing our eyes, bowing our heads, and then I'll open us in prayer. Dear Holy Father, we're thankful for this uh, marvelous chapter in Daniel 7 uh, view of human history uh, actually past and future and we're also thankful Father for uh, the divine um, revelation that's here for us as we apply it because we know that uh, you are in uh, full control uh, in your, uh, through your sovereignty of human history not only human history overall but our lives in, in uh, specifically and so we ask this in Jesus name Amen alright uh, let's go right to Daniel chapter 7 and you may remember last time uh, we saw Daniel's vision here of the four beasts and uh, we worked our way through that pretty well and uh, this time we're going to see the interpretation that is given to Daniel. So let's begin again one more time in Daniel 7, beginning in verse 1. And uh, as we mentioned last time, Daniel, uh, these chapters as we go forward are not all chronological. So uh, this takes us back, this vision takes us back to when Belshazzar was was king. And of course, uh, we said that this is approximately 553 B.C. So in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, and he is co-regent with his father, who is Nabonidus. So in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he, then he wrote down the dreams, telling the main facts. So this is what we have. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. We paused there long enough to see that the winds of heaven would revert, would relate to uh, spiritual forces, we could say here in this case, probably four angels that are stirring up the, um, 
these four winds of heaven are stirring up the great sea and the great sea here is going to be referring to the the, the sea of nations um, and we see you know the unstable nature of the Gentile nations rising and falling and four great beasts came up from the sea each different from the other and so the four great beasts here are going to relate to kingdoms uh, four different kingdoms since they came up from the sea came out of the, the sea of nations each different from the other the first was like a lion and had eagle's wings now this is going to relate again to one of our uh, slides and the slides here uh, the first one we have came out of Daniel chapter 2 and so as we look at this image this is similar to what Daniel's seeing now we'll have a comparison of it here in a minute but let me just continue on the first uh, animal the first beast that we have here was like a lion Babylon and had eagle's wings I watched till its wings were plucked and so this is this compares to the gold head of the image of Daniel and the uh, the plucking of the wings of course now is going to relate to something uh, different and there's various um, opinions of to exactly what the plucking of the wings are but the the fact that it's a lion we know that the lion was very representative of Babylon uh, in archaeology lions everywhere in their archaeological discoveries and the wings meant that it was swift in its conquest it says I watched till its wings were plucked off and this could very easily refer to uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar um, and his fall and um, his then his humiliation because it says and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand on two feet like a man and a man's heart was given to it so um, Nebuchadnezzar is you know the king is representative of a kingdom and so this could be uh, a reference to him here uh, as the ruler of Babylon uh, verse 5 and suddenly another beast a second uh, like uh, and suddenly another beast a second this one like a bear it was raised up on one side and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth and they said thus to it arise devour much flesh so the second one here is probably Medo-Persia and it's raised up on one side meaning that there's somewhat of an imbalance there and we believe the imbalance is reference to the two parts of this kingdom it really starts out uh, as with more of an emphasis on the media portion of it uh, Cyrus uh, and son Cambyses actually uh, are more the media side of it but then Persia uh, becomes even much stronger and then we'll end up calling this not the Medo-Persian Empire but we end up calling it the Persian Empire so the the larger or the stronger side of it is going to be the Persian side and it had three ribs in its mouth and 
the uh, devouring of nations here is sort of the idea. And uh, people believe that, first of all, it devours Babylon. It also devours uh, the, the Syrian portion of the area after that and also Egypt. So we have sort of, or the Syrian area could be Lydia as well. Uh, and it says, it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and they said, Arise and devour much flesh. So the Persian Empire covers a, a, a significant area. Six, after this I looked and there was another, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads and dominion was given to it. So we slide down to our next one. And uh, the Medo-Persian was the silver part of the image of Daniel. Uh, But now this is Greece, this third beast, and it's the brass portion of that image. And again, we'll see this comparison in a minute. And it says... On its backs were four wings. Well, it, its conquest was even uh, more rapid. We, we're familiar, for the most part, with Alexander the Great, who conquers all of the same territory that uh, Persia had, plus more, and he does it in about nine years. And, of course, that's all. Uh, he, he dies at the end of those nine years. Uh, so the four wings give it even more rapidity. Uh, the beast also had four heads and four dominions was given to it. Uh, the reference to the four generals that will split up the kingdom of the uh, Greek empire. Verse 7, After this I saw in the night vision, and behold a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring breaking in pieces and trampling the residue with its feet, the residue of the other kingdoms. We'll see that the other kingdoms don't just completely disappear, but they are they make up part, uh, from the perspective of the Word of God, they make up, up a part of uh, this new empire, this new beast, and it relates to Rome. In the image of Daniel 2, it's the iron uh, thighs and so the lower skirt there, but it's uh, this is Rome. So the fourth beast is Rome, and it is even more ferocious and mighty than the others before it. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns, uh, and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little one, coming up from among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes, like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. We discussed this last time, and it appears that this last kingdom has several stages. And the first stage is the period of uh, that we've already seen is the period of Rome, uh, ancient Rome, and its conquest. So this fourth beast has three stages. Uh, the first stage is the dominion, the empire, the Roman Empire that it achieved in uh, in the past. The second stage is going to be represented by ten horns that are still future. And so that is 
what we call the revived Roman Empire. And on the slide up here, that's going to be the iron and clay, the revived Roman Empire of the image of Daniel 2. And so we have the first stage is Rome from four six from uh, 146 BC to 1453 AD Rome. But then we have this future uh, period uh, that's going to be represented by these ten horns, uh, ten nations. And then there's going to be a third and a final stage. And that third and final stage is going to be the part that's represented by the little horn here, which we are going to see is uh, considered to be the Antichrist that uh, John identifies in Romans 13. So, uh, let's see. We'll go on with this with the uh, this vision. We'll come back and pick up the. Uh, go to Revelation here in a minute. So, uh, that is the four beasts. And let's look here at a comparison. I found this comparison, and you might find it useful if you can see it, if you can read it. Uh, And this is a comparison, as it says, sort of a harmony or comparison between chapters 2 and chapter 7. And the way this is set up, this slide, sort of interesting it has the history in the middle, the fulfillment of it in the middle. And it's like, it's like a book, sort of a book that's folded on each side. So you open it and in the middle, sort of the spine, you have the, what we might call the guide here. And then you kind of work out to both sides. But on the outside, we have the dream. Here's uh, chapter 2, the prophecy, the dream is... Chapter 2, 31 through 35. When we come over here to chapter 7, we have the dreams on the outside over here. 7, 1 through 14. The interpretation next. The interpretation next. And then you sort of move to the middle from both sides. That's the way this is set up. Uh, Sort of an interesting way to set this up. And so we saw Nebuchadnezzar's dream of the image. We have, first of all, we have... You know, there's, there's this sort of worldwide empire, the sea of nations. Uh, and the first nation is going to be Babylon, lion with wings, head of gold. The next one is the Medo-Persian uh, empire, breasts and arms of silver, bear raised up on one side. The next one is the Greek empire, Grecian here, belly and thighs of bronze, leopard with four heads and four wings on its back. So here we are. Uh, and then the last one is the iron, the legs of iron. Uh, and this is ancient Rome, fourth beast with iron teeth and claws of bronze. That's the fourth kingdom here. And remember, it's broken into three separate parts over here. So we have iron and clay here. And then we're going to see that this part of it, the iron and clay, while it's not distinguished in chapter 2, is really uh, the revived Roman Empire, which is going to be over here. The ten kings. And then finally, the last king, which is this little horn, the revived Roman Empire. And you can see 
the, the blending of it right here. I think it's probably could be better placed up here. And then in chapter two, we have the great mountain, uh, this this uh, stone made without hands, crushing the others. And so we have the great mountain, which is the messianic kingdom, and we'll see that it's called the kingdom of God, uh, the everlasting kingdom. Uh, thrones are being set up here in the messianic kingdom. So that's how these two chapters uh, work together, and I think that's somewhat helpful as we go forward here. Now, uh, in verse 9, Daniel is... We could see this as uh, the vision still viewing it on earth, but I think there's also a heavenly portion to this. And so he's been seeing human history and how it's playing out on earth, and now he sees this, what we might call, uh, sort of a, a, a heavenly portion of it where we're going to have a divine tribunal set up. And so verse 9 says, I watched till thrones were put in place and the Ancient of Days was seated. And of course, God the Father doesn't really come to earth, so I see this as uh, his throne being set up, sort of a divine tribunal in heaven. This is the Father, the Ancient of Days, was seated. His garment was his garment was white as snow, purity, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. We might relate that to wisdom. His throne was a fiery flame, uh, the majesty of it, uh, its judgment, the flame, the fiery flame here. His throne here, of course, is his authority, and the fiery flame is judgment. Its wheels, a burning fire, and the wheels here uh, are the outworking of the justice that's occurring. A fiery stream uh, issued and came forth from him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. And we saw that this probably relates to angels. Legions upon legions of angels have no idea how many angels there are. 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. And those numbers are not meant to be taken literally, but that means just an innumerable amount beyond uh, the ability to count. The court was seated, the divine tribunal was seated, and the books were opened. The books here for judgment. 11. I watched then, because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking, I watched till the beast was slain and its body destroyed and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Uh, Verses 11 and 12 here talk about uh, the Antichrist, the pompous words, uh, the blaspheming of God that uh, he will do during the tribulation period. And it says he watched through that portion of human history and he finally saw the Antichrist was slain, his body destroyed, and thrown into the lake of fire. Uh, 
uh, verse 12 says, as for the rest of the beasts, so the rest of the beasts can refer to uh, these uh, four kingdoms, because remember now we're talking about this last little horn, the, uh, the revived Roman Empire. So the other beasts here can refer to the remnants that were left of um, uh, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, and probably other nations as well. It says the rest of them, uh, they had their dominion taken away This is the end of the dominion of the Gentiles, uh, the age of the Gentiles, the domination of the Gentiles, because now when this kingdom comes in, we're going to come back to the Messianic kingdom. We're going to return to uh, the Jewish domination of history. And so the dominion is taken away. This is the end of the Gentile kingdom. Uh, rulership in history yet their lives were prolonged for a season so it means that even though we're going to be entering into the messianic kingdom there are still nations throughout the world who are going to go through the the millennial reign and then we uh, we see in verse 13 I was watching in the night visions and behold one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven he came to the ancient of days he comes to the father here God the father and they brought him near before him and of course we believe that the son of man here is uh, the pre pre-incarnation second member of the Godhead the Lord Jesus Christ so he comes before the ancient of days then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom and I think we went over to did we go over to Psalm 110 last time and look to see uh, that did we or did we not well let's keep your finger here and turn over to Psalm 110 um Psalm 110. And this is um, the Lord here, beginning in Psalm 110.1. The Lord is going to be the Father, said to my Lord, and this is David speaking uh, about not only God the Father, but also God the Son. So we have two lords here. The first one is the Father, the second one is the Son. So the Lord is speaking to my Lord, to the Son. Sit at my right hand, God the Father says to the Son, you, God the Son, sit at my, God the Father's right hand, till I make your enemy, God the Son's enemies, to be your footstool. So, we see that there's a future time coming when God the Father is going to present the Son with the kingdom, the Messianic kingdom. And and that's what we're seeing here. Verse 14, And to Him the Son was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, the Messianic kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. 
should serve and worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom which shall not be destroyed, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. All right, that's really we kind of that's how far we went last time. We got all the way over here. Uh, to verse 15. So, hopefully we've kind of collected our thoughts and collected the context, and now we're ready to press on in verse 15. Uh, Verse 15 uh, gives us now the interpretation of what Daniel's seeing. So Daniel is grieved in verse 15. Uh, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit within my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. Verse 16, I came near to one, to one of the angels, as one of those thousands of of thousands or ten thousand times ten thousand. I came near to one of those who stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. So here we go. Here starts our interpretation. And you can see on the board here, the interpretation, we have the dream from 1 to 14, and then we have the interpretation beginning in uh, 15, actually begins here in 17. Those great beasts, which are four, are four kings, which rise out of the earth. Four kings, of course, representing four kingdoms. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. So, what we have is four kings that represent those four kingdoms in reverse order, Rome, Greece, Medo-Persia, and Babylon. But then there's going to be another kingdom that is comes in the conclusion of it, and that's the Messianic kingdom that's going to be given, it says here, to the saints of the Most High. Well, if, we, if we're trying to identify who these uh, saints are and also the Most High, it's going to be given to the, to the saints of the Most High. The Most High here probably is relating to the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is going to relate back to the Son of Man. So the Son of Man here, I believe, parallels uh, the Most High. And the saints of the Most High, as we're... The perspective that we have here, uh, these saints, um, whenever we hear the word saints, we should think of believers. So these are believers. But then we also have to put it into the context of when is this? Are these saints, and we might think, well, these could be the saints of the church age. Well, really can't be the church age because Daniel is not viewing um, the church age here. And, there, and as we know, the Old Testament really has no references to the church age. It's a, a, an intercalation. It's a gap that was not seen in the Old Testament. So these are not going to be understood as church or church age believers, but they have to be saints, believers of a different period of time. And more than likely, these are saints, we could say believers, of the believing remnant of Israel. So they could be uh, Old Testament saints. They could be 
tribulational martyrs and also uh, tribulational survivors who are going into the Messianic kingdom. And we see it says, But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Uh, A couple things that we see here is that um, there are possessions, there is something to receive. And so uh, these saints that are going into the Messianic kingdom are going to be either ruling and reigning with the Lord, but they're receiving an inheritance in the kingdom. And the other thing that's, I think, worthy of noting here is that this is something physical. Uh, When we talk about amillennialists and postmillennialists, they have a different view of the kingdom than do premillennialists or dispensationalists. We see the messianic kingdom as truly being a literal physical kingdom here on earth where the amillennials would say well uh, the millennium is not really a literal physical kingdom it's actually ongoing now it's really in the minds of the believer and the post-millennialists would say, well, we're sort of in the kingdom now. We're working our way towards a time when the Lord will return. Uh, and we're uh, cleaning up, improving, and we're trying to uh, uh, bring about you know, the kingdom through our um, good works here. But this seems to tell us that there's going to be a time when there's going to be a destruction of the one, the last kingdom that we have, the revived Roman Empire, and we're going to begin a physical, literal kingdom on earth. And so these saints, we would see them, I think the best way to describe that is it's, it's, it's the, the remnant of Israel, the believing remnant of Israel. Not necessarily Israel as a nation, but um, you know, Jewish believers that, that make up uh, because these are saints, and not all Israel is, um, uh, well, certainly all Israel will be believers by the time we get to the actual kingdom, when we enter the kingdom. So, but what my, I guess my main point here is we're not trying to read the church into this. And uh, some would, all millennialists, postmodern, they would try to read them in here. Verse 19, Then I wish to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, with its teeth of iron, its nails of bronze, which devoured, broke in pieces, and trampled the residue with its feet. And uh, that description we can see up here in our on our chart. Fourth beast, uh, iron teeth, claws of bronze, probably this, uh, the ancient Rome, where we are when we're talking about that. And the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up. So then we move on to the ten horns right here, the ten kingdoms. So it goes through this phase. We start with this phase, move to this phase, the ten horns, and then we move to the last phase. Uh, And the ten horns that were on its head, and then another horn which came up, before which three fell. And so this smaller horn, the other ten kingdoms are in existence, as the smaller horn is rising, and as it rises, it subsumes three of them. 
Um, before which three thorn, uh, three, three fell, three horns fell. We could say, namely that horn which had eyes and a mouth which spoke pompous words, whose appearance was greater than his fellows. So he becomes the ruler of this revived Roman Empire. This is who we believe the Antichrist to be. So we're just we are now identifying the the identity. Uh, the Antichrist. Verse 21, I was watching and the same horn was making war against the saints. Okay, saints again, this is Daniel seeing this as the believing remnant of Israel and prevailing against them until the Ancient of Days came and a judgment was made in favor of the saints of the Most High. And so there's a judgment here in favor of the Most uh, uh, Judgment made in favor of the saints of the Most High. And what's that going to be? That's going to be the Lord Jesus Christ being given the kingdom and His return. The Lord Jesus Christ's return. Uh, And the time came for the saints to possess the kingdom, the millennial kingdom. This is going to be the start of the millennial kingdom at the time when the Lord Jesus Christ returns. Verse 23. Thus he said, this is the angel speaking, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which shall be different from all the other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, trample it, and break it in pieces. Then we have the ten horns, or ten kings, who shall rise from this kingdom, from the previous kingdom. And another shall rise after them. So we have those. This probably lays out the distinction of these three a little bit better. Uh, uh, The fourth kingdom, the ten kings, and the different king in verses 23 and 24. He shall be different from the first ones and shall subdue three kings, overpower them. Verse 25. And then we see three things here. There's three descriptive uh, clauses here that describe the Antichrist. He shall speak pompous words against the Most High. Okay? Against the Lord Jesus Christ here. He shall persecute the saints of the Most High. So, um, now the saints of the Most High here going through the tribulation, uh, are going to be, uh, we, I don't know if we could say predominantly Jewish, but uh, there are going to be many Gentile believers as well. But remember that the tribulation is focused really on Israel, in and around Israel. So that's really the focus here. Uh, later on, of course, we have the... Uh, nations of the world joining with the Antichrist to war against uh, Israel and these saints. And that's what we're seeing here. Uh, He shall persecute the saints of the Most High and shall intend to change times and law. Now, there's a question about exactly what is that? What is he going to try to do about changing times and law? Uh, I think we have some insight into that. If we turn just a couple pages over here to Daniel 9. In Daniel 9, and this is going to be a little easier to understand once we arrive in Daniel 9 in a couple weeks and study this in more depth. But for those of you who have gone through Daniel 9, 24 through 27 with me, you'll know that this is the timetable of history. Uh, Seventy weeks, meaning 70 years, are determined 
and it's 70 times 7 there, so we really have 490 years. But as we go through history, we're going to come to verse 27, and the he that we have here is going to be the Antichrist in verse 27. So, and he, the Antichrist, shall confirm or shall make a covenant with the many for one week. And this is going to be uh, the Jews. So the Antichrist makes a treaty, a covenant, with Israel for one week. So it's designed to be seven years worth. But in the middle of the week, the middle of those seven years, at the three and a half year point, he shall bring an end to sacrifice and offerings. And on the wing of abomination shall uh, shall be uh, shall be one who makes desolate. Um, now we'll study that more when we come back when we arrive there. But what that's essentially saying is that he makes a covenant, makes a treaty with Israel. Every I'll protect you. Everything will remain the same. And so Israel has during the tribulation period here they've rebuilt the temple and they are. Um, uh, once more having their sacrifices and he makes a covenant with them uh, and they are able to continue it up until the, the middle of the, of the tribulation and he says that's it and he changes it he stops that he puts him uh, an image of himself in the temple and so that's the abomination that we see there so we think that that's what this is um, that he is going to change times and laws and then uh, it says then the saints shall be given into his hand uh, for a time, times, and a half time. Uh, This is language that we recognize from Revelation when we talk about uh, time. And then we have times plural. And then we have half time over here. And so what we believe this to be is this is one year, two years, plus a half a year equals the three and a half years. So that is simply descriptive of the three and a half years of the tribulation second half of the tribulation. Verse 26. But the court shall be seated. So this is all this description now. We've seen uh, the dream. We've seen uh, the divine tribunal established. We're now seeing the interpretation. So we're, we're viewing the earth and the interpretation of what's happening on earth. And now we come back to the divine tribunal. But the course shall be seated, and they shall take away his dominion, the Antichrist, to consume and destroy it forever. Then the kingdom, the millennial kingdom, and dominion, the rulership of that kingdom, which we saw, which was given to uh, the Son of Man back in verse 14. Uh, Then the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole earth shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve, and and all dominions 
other nations shall serve and obey him. So, uh, that brings us to the end. We can see that we've kind of come full circle here, uh, where uh, uh, the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heavens shall be given to the people, the saints of the Most High. And so, again, this is the remnant of Israel that uh, probably we have three different parts if we want to break this down and I don't know that this is trying to get this technical here but it's those who are truly the followers of the most high uh, believers that's what we would see as saints and since this is a um, uh, more of a of a reference towards the antichrist warring against the people of Israel, the emphasis, of course, is on the remnant of Israel, the Jewish believers, that uh, believing remnant of Israel that are going to go into the millennium. Of course, we understand that there are also going to be Gentile believers who are physically alive at the end of the tribulation who will enter as well. And the percentages there, we just simply don't know. But then, of course, in the uh, tri- uh, after the tribulation, there are going to be, uh, at that time, there are going to be uh, Old Testament saints who who are raised up. There are going to be tribulational martyrs who are resurrected as well. Uh, and then, of course, there are going to be church age believers who uh who are going to come back with the Lord. So there are going to be many saints in the, tribula- or in the millennium, some ruling and reigning in our resurrection bodies, and others who are going to be there who will receive forms of inheritance in their physical bodies. And I think that we could probably see all of that there, but of course we can't read the church into that yet. <laughs> Daniel would not have seen uh, the church here. So, uh, what do we have? Let's, let's take a look at some passages in the New Testament. And the first place I'd like to go is we look back at verse 13. We see, we see in, in verse 13, Daniel 7, verse 13, we see the reference here to the Son of Man. Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew. I always like to go to Matthew. And... In Matthew 16, this is one of the locations where the Lord refers to Himself. Matthew 16, verse 13. Uh, probably, and I should have looked this up, um, the Lord refers to Himself in several different ways, but one of the ways that he refers to himself, and as a matter of fact, it's his, his the most favorite name, seems to be the Son of Man. And in Matthew 16, verse 13, Then Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so here is one of his references. I'm the Son of Man. And if... Uh, it would not have been lost at, on the time uh, when our Lord was on earth to both his disciples and also to the religious leaders when he would use the term son of man they would automatically go back to Daniel here and they would understand him using this as a reference 
of deity and also placing him here in this prophecy that he is the one who is going to be receiving the dominion of this kingdom. So he's in essence saying, I'm the Messiah. I am the future ruler of this kingdom. And here we have it stated right here. I'm, uh, you know, I am the son of man. Um, so we have that. Now let's also, let's see, on our way back to Revelation, we might stop. Uh, I was going to try to pick up something in... Um, Well, let's go on back to... uh, Oh, uh, Mark 8. Mark 8, verse 38. In Mark 8, verse 38, here is the Lord Jesus Christ talking about His followers... Uh, who would uh, be faithful and uh, not uh, be faint during periods or times of hardship or persecution. And he talks here about, in verse 34, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. This is, so this is obedience and submission to the will of God, to the, to the, the hardships that might follow. Uh, we get down to 38, it says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my word in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So this is when, we've entered, when we begin the... Uh, the millennial kingdom. All right, let's turn back now to Revelation. And there are many places in Revelation where we can go, but let's remember that Revelation starts with a vision to the Apostle John, and the first three chapters. The first three chapters are a description of what he's seeing regarding the earth and the Lord. And um, some of it is, uh, most of it relates to a preparation for what is about to occur and what is going to begin when we arrive in chapter 4. So it's a sort of a setup, and we do have um, a reference to churches at the end of chapter 2 actually the beginning of chapter 2 beginning of chapter 2 and chapter 3 but when we get to chapter 4 we see this throne room of heaven and so I think here are these divine, the divine tribunal again which has uh, which is briefly referenced in Daniel but now what we're seeing in Revelation from Revelation 4 and going all the way back to Revelation 20 is this interim period that is uh, part of the reference of Daniel 7 where there is judgment ongoing. 
And so uh, the Apostle John simply, you know, works us into it in chapter 4 and chapter 5. And then in chapter 6, we begin to see the seal judgments, which roll into the trumpet judgments, which roll into the bowl judgments. And that's, of course, not seen back in Daniel, but these are the judgments that, uh, in the vision that John is given, to um, add flesh to sort of that skeleton that Daniel had. And when we get back to chapter chapter 13, um, we get back to chapter 13, it says, Then I, and this is John, Apostle John says, I stood on the sand of the sea. And here we are talking, you know, the sea is this sort of Gentile nations again. And I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. So, we have this group of nations. And there, every now and then you'll hear someone talk about the Antichrist and who is the Antichrist and what is his origin? And some will say, well, he's going to be Jewish. And then others will say that, well, maybe he's uh, Assyrian or whatever it is. Well, one thing for sure, it says he's rising up out of the sea, and so we know that he's definitely going to be a Gentile. Uh, he's not Jewish. So it says, I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. And this is, of course, parallel to what we saw in Daniel, the small horn rising up uh, amongst the ten. It says, having seven heads, ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. And we can get into uh, sort of a discussion of what the heads and the horns are, but one easy thing for us is to see is that the ten horns here are going to be ten nations. So we have ten nations here. Uh, and the seven heads you know, are often used for nations as well. So it seems that there are uh, seven heads, and whether those relate to the remaining seven after he comes and, subs- and subs- uh, subsumes three of them, um, uh, I'm not. That's kind of for another study, but it says on his heads he had a blasphemous name, and so the blasphemy here is always going to be against God. Now the beast and. We recognize him as the Antichrist, which I saw. And now look at this description. Was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear. And his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And so we sort of have this reference to these kingdoms uh, that were destroyed. But there's still sort of a, a, a remnant or a, a residual... Uh, uh, sense of the nations here. 
so this does not necessarily need to be uh, remnants of specifically the old Persian Empire, Greek Empire, um, Babylonian Empire, and, and Rome, but it's the idea that it's rising up out of those nations so that this is uh, a Gentile, he is the ruler of a Gentile nation, Gentile forces. And having the feet of the bear, uh, you know, being like a lion, feet of the bear, mouth of the lion, this tells us that uh, it is a, uh, a coalition of, of Gentile nations. And the dragon, identify the dragon here as Satan, the dragon gave him, the Antichrist, his power, his throne, and great authority. And I, John, saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. So somehow uh, the Antichrist here is going to either feign a deadly wound, or he is going to be wounded in a deadly way, but he survives it. Some people believe that he dies, and then Satan resurrects him. Uh, Others say that he sustains a mortal wound, but... He is able to overcome it. However he does this, whatever is done, it's done with uh, Satan's power, uh, not with him because he personally as a human being doesn't have this kind of power. But Satan can be given that uh, authority by God. And so he, he represents himself then as being somewhat immortal, like, and of course he is the counterfeit to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Satan being the counterfeit to God the Father, the Antichrist here being the counterfeit of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, see, I died and I was resurrected as well. So that's the sense of this. And all the world marveled and followed the beast, the Antichrist. So they worshipped the dragon, Satan, who gave authority to the beast, the Antichrist, and they worshipped the beast, saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war against him? And he, the Antichrist, was given a mouth, speaking great things and blasphemy, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months. Now, if we work out 42 months, we see that that's three and a half years. So, uh, the idea here, when it says he was given a speaking mouth and blasphemies, that takes us right back to his pompous words that we saw in Daniel 7. So, we have this comparison. Then he opened his mouth in blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name or his character, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. It was granted to him to make war with the saints. Here we are. We're right back to making war with the saints. And uh, this, of course, is during the tribulation time. And again, while this can be a combination of Jews and Gentiles, we have to realize that Satan's hatred is for the Jews. He wants to wipe them out. That's always been one of his desires. We see it today. Um, So the emphasis here is probably better seen as uh, the remnant, the Jewish believing remnant. But there are Gentile believers that can be part of this as well. It was granted to him to make war against the saints. Uh, and to overcome them, to conquer them. And authority was given, uh, was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. So he is the leader of uh, the world um, 
And all who dwell on the earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of life, and the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Uh, So, uh, then verse 9 simply is a warning. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who leads with the sword shall be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. So, what the Lord is going to tell them to do, the message that they're going to get is to flee. To flee from uh, Israel, flee from Jerusalem. We believe they go down to the area of Basra, uh, Petra, where the Lord is going to allow them to remain and be saved. Um, so, that is sort of a, a comparison. And there's other places we can go in Revelation to see this. Uh, let's go back to... Revelation 19, Revelation 19, and let me uh, very quickly read uh, Revelation 19 beginning in verse 11. I want to read to the end of the chapter because at the end of the chapter of chapter 19, we see the demise of this beast. And by the way, there's another beast, a uh, second beast seen in Revelation, which we see as the false prophet, uh, who is, by the way, the counterfeit to God the Holy Spirit. And if we'd have gone on in chapter 13, we would have seen the false prophet. Uh, he'll appear here at the end of chapter 19. But now we see that uh, the Lord is given dominion and he is going to return. So in verse 11 in Revelation 19, now I saw... Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in uh, a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. So, uh, the dipped in blood here, he's returning to destroy all those who oppose him and are making war against the saints. And the armies in heaven, and we have in heaven uh, both angelic forces, and uh, we believe these are also uh, church age believers in resurrection bodies. Clothed in fine linen, white and clean, following him on white horses. Yeehaw! Here we are, riding on white horses. And out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. So here we see the striking of the nations, which are being led by the Antichrist. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Verse 17. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to all the birds that fly in the midst of the heaven, Come, gather together for the supper of the great day, uh, the supper of the great God, that you may eat the flesh of kings, the flesh of captains, the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses, and those who sit on them, and the flesh of all the people, free and slave, both small and great. So uh, these these are all uh, those who were warring against the saints, who had uh, joining in the blaspheming of God. They are destroyed. They are executed, and now the fowl of the air being called uh, to clean up 
the, the dead bodies, the carrion. Verse 19, And I saw the beast, here is the Antichrist, the one that we saw in Daniel 7, the king of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him, this is uh, the Son of Man, um, the Lord Jesus Christ, him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet, who worshipped signs, uh, who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. Those two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword, which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. <clears throat> so, that's the demise here of the um, this ruler that we see this little horn rising up in 7.8 and described in 7.24. And then we also see this everlasting kingdom that is coming. So, our last verse in Daniel 9. Go back to Daniel 9 now. Daniel 7, rather. Back to Daniel 7. In Daniel 7, our last verse says, verse 28, this is the end of the account. This is the end of the matter. This is the end of my dream and vision. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly troubled me, and my countenance was changed. Blood sort of drains from his face. He's ashen over this. But I kept the matter in my heart. So, uh, everything has been explained to him. Uh, the interpretation uh, he's you know he doesn't have uh, a sense probably here because he doesn't have all the information he'll have more information as we go into chapter 8 chapter 9 chapter 10 11 and 12 uh, that he can add to this so right now uh, he has a lot of information he has the interpretation but uh, he, he he can't put it all together just yet, and he'll in the end he'll be told to seal this up. Uh, so there probably is some that he, some things that he does understand that he's not going to be allowed to say. So anyhow, that gets us through chapter seven. Next week we'll be ready for chapter eight. Chapter eight's kind of a fun chapter. It's again a look at human history, and we'll come back and we'll see what that how that how we view that next week. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for. This remarkable chapter. We're thankful for the insight that we have here into human history. We're thankful that it was given to Daniel and the interpretation. We see how that it also uh, uh, is a forerunner, really, to what the Apostle John was given in Revelation. Uh, and so we're thankful for the unity of Scripture. How is it possible that these two men who never knew each other um, could come up with such a a very wonderful similar uh, report well it's because God the Holy Spirit is providing the inspiration help us Father to understand all of this and how your hand is guiding human history even today uh, even though we're in a gap here uh, a period of time that's not seen in the Old Testament but it certainly we have uh, much information about it from the epistles in the New Testament so help us Father to be Uh, part of that uh, believing remnant, Father, that will someday return with you and enjoy 
of the inheritance of the millennial kingdom. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.